you don't need to clap. It's okay. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. And, and this, this is Dad. And we're going to... Hey, that was the best the response laughter. we've gotten pause so far. Pause for On tour. <laughs> we're going to start out nice and easy. We're just going to go all the way down the panel... Starting on your side, Matt. Yes. Go left to right. Matthias, you've already introduced yourself, unless you want to go again. You can, you can push your book. Yeah. True. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Matthias, a.k.a. Major VFX. Um, I have my book up for the first time. That's why I wanted, wanted to just say hi. I wrote this um, in response to so many artists and everybody else who struggles in the world because uh, we graduate and we don't know much, and it's called The Five Most Important Things You Don't Learn in School. And it has illustrations in it, so if you like pictures, there's pictures in there. So it goes over the five most important things, how to make money, how to manage money, health in the human body, communication and relationships, and the legal system. System. Gives you a good baseline of how to adult. Um, yeah, but I'll just push that. And then I'm Matthias. Hi. Matthias. With, yeah, with Max on. Yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Nick Campbell, founder of Grayscale Gorilla. Do I use this mic or this one? It doesn't matter. We're just passing around. We're having a good time. Okay, we're having a good time. All right, I'm Chad. I'm also a Grayscale Gorilla. <laughs> But let's not do that. We <laughs> get the, to the end of the, the rope at some point, right? <laughs> Hello. Uh, my name is Doug Alberts, and I am an owner of a company called Noodle. I'm Ethan Barnowski. I'm a 2D uh, animator, illustrator. I do fine art and brand design for illustration stuff also. But... Uh, yeah, I also organize Moonlighters, which is a Chicago, Chicago area a festival that celebrates non-commercial work from motion designers and other artists in the city. Hi, hi, I'm Julie. Uh, I'm Julie Craft. I am from Detroit. I am a freelance 2D, 3D animator. Been doing that for a while. I also run Boxfort Detroit, uh, which is like a freelance collective we have there. And I run MoGraph Mondays Detroit, which is our which is like meetups. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Tracy. I'm not a designer. I'm a former MD of the Mill Chicago. I've been in Chicago for about 10 years and have, um, have a sort of keen interest in design for my entire production career. So I'm here today. Hi everyone, my name is Emma Gauthier. I'm a 3D artist for Encore and also 3D generalist uh, freelancing. Hi, I'm Dan. Oh, (laughs) I forgot I'm hosting. I have a short story to tell uh, about the year 2009 or 2010, sometime around then. I don't know. Um, I was watching the internets, and I had just found uh, Grayscale Gorilla, and I heard about Half Res for the first time, and I think I watched a clip from it or something, and then I also watched uh, Grayscale Gorilla tutorials, of course. And I uh, did the I did the 7-Up thing or whatever, you know? I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm going to enter a five-second project, and it was my first time using Cinema 4D to really create anything. And I got honorable mention in your uh, contest. And then uh, I was thinking about half res and, and uh, Chicago C4D. And I thought, you know, I don't know anybody else in the world that uses Cinema 4D. I don't know anybody else. Anyone. So I'm going to try and figure this out. And I'm going to register DFWC4D.com. And uh, years later, we ended up using it. We ended up started 
having uh, get-togethers and things, beer meetups. I know a lot of y'all probably came to them. Uh, but it's just very special to me to be here all these years later and actually be able to host a panel here at Half Res after all of that. And now I know a lot of people who use Cinema 4D. And other programs. Other programs, too. So um, we're going to get started. And I also want to say thank you, GSG. Big thank you, also. Yes. Thank you, buddy. For everything. <laughs> um, we're going to uh, start off with some tough ones. We're going to go straight into AI. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're saving AI to the end, okay? Um, uh, before we get into it, though, I did want to ask a little bit about, um, you know, some GSG history. Um, it's, it's kind of cool that it's come full circle and y'all are here and, well, Chris is trying to prepare, of course. <laughs> uh, but uh, he would have been on the panel if he wasn't doing that. He's usually with us for the panel. Um, but... Um, I wanted to ask GSG just how you feel about how things have gone since around that time and, and where they're going. And then we're going to put that into another question, which is where do you think motion design is going from here? Not Maybe some AI, but not necessarily AI. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, real, real simple to start off with. I appreciate it. Um, the history's easy. I'll hand it to Chad for the future. He's better at that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, you're reminding me of 09, whenever the first half res was, was around then, 09, 08, something like that. Um, the first person, I, I, was, I felt the same. I learned Cinema 4D and didn't, I knew some other 3D artists, didn't know anybody. And the first person I met that also used Cinema 4D was Chris fucking Schmidt. <laughs> How was that? I'm like, you, oh, let me let me see. And he knew everything, and it was amazing. He it still was, does. He still does. It's amazing. <laughs> it was uh, 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 it was running the uh, Chicago C4D and that whole thing. Um, okay, so the history, like, I think a lot of things have changed. Uh, Chad has seen uh, this industry change a ton. I know we should both talk about this. I think the biggest one is. Um, Back when I really got started in uh, After Effects and interested in 3D, everything was so goddamn expensive. Uh, you had to pay four, three, four, five thousand dollars just for a piece of software. You needed at least that much in a computer, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars if you wanted anything that was fast enough to turn it around in a commercial sense. And by the time I got more uh, into Cinema 4D, 09, that era you're asking about, um, there was a revolution. This revolution was here, which was much less expensive, a Cinema 4D, and uh, there was also a completely different culture around it. No longer were people hoarding uh, ideas and how to use things. It was very open. This is a part of Half Res. It's a part of Chris and Chicago C4D, and obviously a part of Grayscale Gorilla, the, the sharing, the community, the, the tutorials, and all of us learning together. Uh, it was a huge moment where... Every, the ability to do 3D expanded very quickly. Um, and over the last 10 years, it's been that story times another 10 or maybe 100. Uh, we're seeing the ability to try new tools, experiment with 3D without paying a dollar now. Like you can, you can go try um, uh, 3D right now, go download software and experiment with it. Uh, the, every 15-year-old kid has been playing... Uh, Minecraft and has tried Blender, right? They've all, they've, they're, their touching point of 3D is getting easier and easier and easier. And there's a revolution happening. And I think the biggest thing we've seen or I've seen over the last 10 years is the idea that you just need one 
expensive ass 3D application went away, and now we have so many different uh, Choices, yeah. Like we have the opportunity that anything that is in our head, we can now go build using amazing, low-cost tools, and that's the revolution that's happening. Like, and it's still happening today. Cinema has been a huge part of this, bringing all this amazing tech, and it just expands over and over. So that's kind of where I've seen the big jump. Is uh, you don't need the big expensive degree, you don't need the big expensive computer, you can get started at least with a laptop and an email. And that is a revolution that to me is super exciting. For the future, Chad, do you have anything to add? I know you have uh, a, a 3D history as well, obviously. What are you seeing? I think you're right. I think the uh, uh, what I'm seeing is like all these younger people come up. Closer to the mic, sorry. You're breaking the first rule, dude. I'm get sorry. In there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me let me grab it. Let me grab it properly. Get all the mics. Oh, there you go. Uh, no, I don't have room for that. Um, yeah, I think that when I look at kids coming up, and when I say kids, I mean like high schoolers and and people just entering college. I, I, like you said, I'll just echo that. Everybody's touching 3D a lot earlier than I did, so it's not really. It's not difficult for them to pick up one tool, two tools, three tools, five even. So what I'm seeing is a trend where artists, and this is a great trend, I, I really think this is amazing because that's how my brain works, which is let's just use whatever tool works. Whatever tool is going to get the job done, right? So, you know, there's a lot of evangelism happening in 3D early on. I was a part of it. I kind of pooped on Cinema 4D for a number of years. But then I don't I came hold around. it against you. We don't hold it against you. <laughs> you don't? Yeah, you didn't, actually, and I, I thank you for that. We're glad you're here. Yeah, me too. Uh, so the idea of that, like, you know, I use this, you know, and this is, this is my identity, you know, isn't really a thing anymore, um, which I think is great. So I'm seeing so many artists come up basically using whatever works. Like, how many people here use more than one uh, 3D tool, right? If I were to ask that question, like, I think I gave a talk here five years ago on the, on the nose, that would have been, like, maybe three people. So that's really, really cool. So you're just, you're able to just, like, meld into whatever tool works, right? And, like, that helps you get more jobs, do more work, make more money. It's all good. So I, I guess that's really, I'm excited to see more of that, like, entry-level like just people being able to do 3D at, at any part in their journey and have multiple choices to do it. I think that's great. Yeah, that's really all I had. Anybody else? Yeah. <clears throat> I'll just add that um, 10 years ago, the studio system was very different and it's fractured into a thousand pieces and there are one, two, three people studios in every small to medium city across the world now, which is amazing. Um, just because of cost and tools and even business tools and stuff have all evolved and changed over the years. So that adds to the ever-changing dynamic of the industry in a, in a positive way, but in a, in, not in a negative way, but in a different way also. It's, it's, you know, it's cool. I will have to say, uh, I was one of those high school kids uh, back in the day when I started 3D. I started in Blender, and I did not know anything about 3D until I saw uh, YouTube videos, tutorials, and then that's when I started researching different colleges in 3D, and then that's how I got in touch with not only the people at Maxon uh, at these uh, events, but now I know that there's so much... Uh, 
there's so much information tools out there that yes, all these high school kids can grow up and become really good 3D artists. And there's so many great tools out there. So I think the future is going to be even better than our generation before. Uh, quick question for Agreed. everyone. Uh, me and Julie were talking about this backstage earlier where it's almost like our industry is kind of like a trade, you know, where uh, you don't necessarily have have to go to college in order to learn what we do. We can learn through gray, Grayscale Gorilla tutorials like a lot of us have up here, you know, or Andrew Kramer tutorials, and you can, or MoGraph tutorials, thank you, you know, um, buy one of our classes online. <laughs> Smooth. Um, <Nice>. Thanks. <laughs> but it, it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily do that. There are so many more avenues to where, uh, to get into this industry. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have a degree. I would love to know y'all's opinion on whether or not you think that's a positive for our industry or a negative for our industry because I could see it going either way. What, what specifically, though? Um, just being able... You'll get a, a huge influx of, of uh, new designers and new people like that, you know, which it could water down our industry. Yeah. Versus, versus it may also add, push us. I don't know. Adding diversity and mix into into it. You're you're opening it up to a world of people who would never have been able to enter it before. And I think it's amazing. I think it's it's great. I agree. Um, Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and, of course, Octane. But I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs. And we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com, from this podcast to MoGraph TV to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community-building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at Otoy.com. Now back to the madness. I think the the world of education is changing dramatically, like like you said, um, with the different tools, and I think with the invent of the internet, like all of a sudden, you know, people started to have access and share information differently, so they started getting information differently. And now, as we move into the you know AI age, I feel that's going to play a part of education as people are learning with different tools and different styles. But I feel that it. It is going to get watered down, like with anything, when you have a lot of people. But then there's going to be refinement. And I think that was the phase that we saw with the Internet is there was a dot-com for everything, and then there was some refinement for it. So community started to get built where people might jump into it because they like it, but then they go back and they say, you know what, I actually really want to learn art theory now. I do want to learn timing. I do want to learn the classic animation things. So I feel that it's allowing people that... Like myself, I thought it was out of reach for the longest time to be an artist. And I was an economist. That was my degree because when I went to school, I saw that, you know, oh, man, the interfaces were really difficult. It was, you know, Maya is what they taught there. I was like, the interfaces are really difficult and, oh, I'll wait till the tools get easier. And I feel now that the tools are at a place and there's been so many people educating. Some of the tools. Some of the tools are at a really good place. A lot of, you know, but I would say a lot of the tools even, I mean, over the last 10 years, they, they've improved so more people aren't as intimidated to be able to get started. There's an entry level, I think, in the world of 3D and design um, that it hasn't, hasn't re- really been there in, until now. 
that anybody can do it. You know, if you're, I've, I've met a five-year-old, you know, playing around with cinema and, and actually doing like their own little titles for their YouTube channel. I've seen some of their tutorials. <laughs> oh, you've seen the tutorial? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's what we have to, have to look forward to is more people will get in and that artistic part of them that they thought they could never really express gets started and then, then we'll see a refinement or some people just do it as hobbies. I, I agree oh. as a trade though. Oh, sorry. No, uh, Julie, I, you were going to say me, something. Okay, me? Okay. Yeah, I feel like, uh, so whenever anything big changes in our industry, there's this fear of scarcity, right? So you think, okay, there's going to be always more people in the industry. It's going to water things down. But, like, has there ever been a need for less content? The demand for content just keeps going up and up. Good point. Like, yes, you might make content for TikTok or something, but you're still, there's endless need for content. And, yeah, there's AI, but whatever. And so, like, yeah, so, and Matthias, you're saying, well, anyone can learn this. Yeah, anyone can, can try it, but not anyone can, like, rise to the top. Not anyone exactly. can. Exactly. What, what can do you think it excel. is that, uh, that sets those people apart, that helps you rise to the top? As someone, especially someone who didn't necessarily go to school for this and is learning online, what do you think it is that can, you know, help you rise above the rest? Talent. Yeah, but talent, just talent isn't necessarily instinctive, you know? I think, I, 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 you know, I am, I, am, I am of the, the mind that, you know, people learn to draw through repetition and stuff like that. You know, you're not instantly talented, right? I think you learn to draw through repetition and through trying over and over again. I mean, that's Chad probably disagrees. true, that's probably this is true be for a some fun conversation. That's true for some people, but that's, like, pretty, like, broad statement. I think that talent is in some ways innate like it's it's part of you i i would agree to disagree on that one uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do believe that there is i would say taste like taste could be a thing that might be a little bit more innate with people but the best in every every creative field that i've seen has put in a tremendous amount of hours now i have met people oh, sure. who 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 were talented at the beginning but then they got lapped by the person that continued to put in. So I would say it's the person who has a passion and then applies themselves because you can be talented and, and granted if you are, you, you're probably already in that top tier. But I feel the ones that are going to put in the work, that are going to show up to meetings like this, that are going to network, that are going to look for the skills that they don't know and always look to improve themselves are going to, you know, beat out it's, it's a quote from my football eras it's hard work beats talent every day all right there's people that are extremely talented that lose to the person that just put in the more uh, more hours the person who just showed up more the person who produced more content you know mr beast i don't know if anybody everybody heard of this mr beast guy <laughs> oh, yeah. no anyway yeah it's, it's this internet youtube he's overrated yeah so anyway i mean just listening to some of his stuff it was like yeah my stuff when i started off we wouldn't say he was a very talented producer or a content creator and some might say he's still not I, but, I would agree with so, that <laughs> but over time he's he's really studied and he put in that effort that put him at, at a level and people would say oh you're so talented and who wouldn't want him now to make a video for him before you would say hey look at his stuff I'm going to go with the more talented person I so. think it's a combo for sure I don't Talking think it's microphone. like oh sorry <laughs> god damn it um, I think it, you're right talent work ethic absolutely like the, the two together gold you know, like to me, for me, like I don't consider myself that talented, but I have a really good work ethic, 
and I bust ass. And I think just that having that combination or a good balance of those things is key. You better Talk pick up me. that mic. You're going to have to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but right. like, is you, you, you may not think that you're that talented or whatever. I do. Oh. I think that, I think that, that, is that just imposter syndrome? You know? No, because when, when I was in school... I, <laughs> no, because I think I'm the I, shit. I, I'm just, I, don't think I'm I think every, who here like, doesn't like, shit on their own work? Like Everybody shits on their own work. Everybody thinks, oh my God, I suck. Like This sucks. That's part of being an artist. But like, I don't know. Like To me, coming in, like, I, I didn't even want to do 3D. I didn't even like 3D. I was going for film and traditional animation. And I kind of fell into this industry because I was told that I couldn't get a job doing tra- traditional animation. I just, I sucked, basically. And so, for me, I never wanted that feeling ever again. So I dedicated myself to this craft of 3D. And I do believe it's a trade, by the way, so we're totally in sync on that. Yeah. And I think that um, I just threw myself into it. And with that work ethic, I was able to make a career out of this. And like, but I do think there's a talent insecurity gives you that like oh, I got to work hard, you know. Like it's that combination I think that makes special people happen. Julie, you were going to say something. I saw you reaching for the mic. I have lots of little things, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, so uh, one way yeah, to to excel is just putting in the time alone on your computer, and you can excel as like a very like um, well-known artist online with a very specific style. But the other side of it is like community. Like, I feel like people that, well, going back to your original question of, like, how do you rise to the top um, with this influx of everyone, coming to events like this, like, getting known, you know? Because, like, in Detroit, sometimes I'll be like, oh, there's this amazing artist here that no one has met at any of our community events or anything. I'm like, I guess they're fine. It's fine if they're, they're like, don't want to hang out at events and stuff. But I feel like the way to, like, grow beyond that is always, like, community and willing to, like, hey, look at my reel. What do you think? You know, getting feedback, not just being in a vacuum, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. I just, it's reminding me of um, just seeing over the last few years or 10 years, however long, gosh, 14 years now? I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> so it's always been the same story from what I've seen. There's somebody who's interested in something. You're all interested in 3D, 2D animation. And then you, so that's first thing. You got to just be like obsessed with it. What is this thing? How do you do it? What is it? Let's search it. Let's find it. I can't sleep. I'm looking. There's always that start. Uh, Nobody just accidentally is like, yeah, I guess I'll just be an animator. (laughs) Number two, you have to um, know that you suck and know that compared to the stuff that you see that you look up to, that you know that you need to get way better. And if you don't have that, you don't feel the pressure you don't learn you don't you say my shit's awesome i'm an artist like fuck you know screw you and those people don't make it uh because they don't have that pressure that's why people that do make it all think their shit sucks because those are the ones that that get through they want to be better every day and they try and they practice and then of course all of this means they put reps in so whether the reps actually make you better um which of course it does um, it all comes from the start of like understanding that you can be better, so you will try every day and learn something new and try something different. Uh, and then I'll just add the last bit, which is they eventually find out, everybody who ends up working at least, if you want to make a living doing this, they eventually find out, like, I need to learn more than just the tool. I need to learn the things that make th- things beautiful. Cinematography, typography, design, color theory, 
lighting, uh, the things that actually produce a beautiful image on the, on your goggles or your screen or your rectangle, whatever you're making, you need to understand the principles of of how to get attention, how to make somebody f- feel an emotion, whatever that is. Um, those are always the steps I've seen, and it's very rare unless you're a professional modeler, like you have a very technical, skilled job, which is also, I think, a, it's an amazing job. It's a mm-hmm. trade. I think in the motion design world, you're expected to also know the how to make it beautiful. So those are just like some of the steps I've seen over the last decade looking at successful people that do this for a living um and i try to grab those stories because people who like me and chad has the same story i'm sure everybody up here has a similar story like what the hell do i want to do for a job do i really have to go do this thing i'm not interested in or can i do something that i'm obsessed about and everybody that i have seen make that happen has had those traits for those of you who have hired out help and different motion designers or brought in people for your team, what is it that sets them apart from every other candidate you may or may not be bringing in? Tracy, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Um, so when I was working at Enzo Custom, I had to uh, hire on another 3D artist. And so I had to look through multiple resumes, look at multiple people's portfolios. And the one thing that I saw in people's portfolios that I was looking for was not only, um, you know, really good uh, 3D modeling skills and, you know, talent. I wanted to see that they were going to do something different with uh, what we were giving them. We were giving them a template of saying, you need to make this type of suit, 3D model it, make it look nice. But I was looking for something that they were going to do differently with it, some sort of creative edge to it, something that I've never really seen before. And that's what I think going back to the other question was, yes, you can have talent, you can have passion, but you also need to have some sort of creativity to be able to make something new. So that is one thing that I was looking for when I was uh, hiring on more 3D artists. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree from the production point of view. It's, you know, often you get a brief and you see the brief and you want someone that's going to be able to execute it. So to be able to showcase that in your reels and in everything, not just doing... I mean, it's, it's lovely to do things that you're interested in, but it's also how do you do things to spec and to work and how do you showcase that? And that's often important when you're looking for specific people because often you are looking for those specific things to hire onto a job, whether it be for an art director or a creative director, um, for something that's more 3D, so more illustrated, you're looking for that particular person. So just kind of getting your work out there and showing your kind of range of what you can do is often quite important too. I wanted to talk a little bit too about, you know, we have touched on imposter syndrome already. I know we talk about it every week, but it's nice to hear... (laughs) different people's opinions on it you know uh the three eyes influences inspiration and imposter syndrome you uh, you have some uh, you know influences some some artists you follow right you've got your inspiration from their work and then you see them posting it all the time and you get imposter syndrome so just curious uh who everybody's influences are to start chad ashley Mostly. I'll start. Um, I think my my favorite, like, my, I'm a huge fan of my friends. Um, Colin, I think, is here. Colin, where are you? Yes. Okay, so Colin works at Duolingo now, which was Gunner. Um, and I still find myself, like, every week on the Gunner page just, like, checking out what they did. Um, 
Cabeza Patata, um, Caesar Pleaser, just like amazing 3D designers that bring like a certain amount of charm. Um, they capture like a feeling in their work. I think is super super special. Um, so those are some of my 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 just the coolest people I know. Yeah. Um, I'll say uh, outside of motion design, um, but in the design world, like 60s, 50s, mid-century stuff like Saul Bass and Milton Glaser, Paul Rand, uh, people like that, and and folk art, and also just trying to find to like get out of Instagram and get out of these other places and start looking elsewhere, go to museums, and um, you know watch films. I, I love photography. I, uh, all of that kind of stuff is more important to me in uh, uh, influencing where I take a project in different directions. That's awesome. Yeah, you gotta live your life like away from the computer and that could be a good inspiration. I love taking inspiration from non-visual things. Like, I read a lot of like old sci-fi from like the 50s and 60s and I feel like reading a book um, is like the ultimate, you know, creative exercise because you're creating the images in your mind. I know that some people have different minds that don't think in images, but for me it works. And often in older sci-fi, you know, I like to call it boring sci-fi, they'll describe like an interface in very big, like in detail. And I'm like, I'm like thinking of the UI for that and like the hard surface modeling design of it, you know, and it's a very, very interesting thing to practice. And it's like, I love reading like a physical old book that like smells weird. It's great. <laughs> like, I love all the Asimov books and everything. Yeah, so I love taking... Because, yeah, Instagram, like, and all... Like, there's so much visual content, like, inundating us all the time. Like, it's easy to, to look at Instagram and be like, oh, everything's been made. Everything's better than what I make. So you got to step out of that sometimes. Julie just inspired me to, like, choose my books by smell now. <laughs> like, going, going by, what's, what's the smell like? Um, is it all right to talk about imposter syndrome a little bit? Do we, it, yeah, or, that's, okay. That, well, um, that too. Yeah, we'll go back. On, on all yeah. three. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to, in, in our industry specifically, um, the, this thing of imposter syndrome, because I don't see it as much everywhere else. It's almost like everywhere else, it's like you get your degree, you did your thing, you're an engineer, you got the certification, now you're like recognized within that industry. Where here, it, it's not the case. But I feel we, we suffer from something that's really different than everybody else. Who here really loves creating and loves what we do as artists? Or who here, like, I guess a better one, who here hates being an artist and hates creating? Sometimes. And everything? Like, like, Sometimes, Okay, yeah. so, so like, okay, we got, one, we got one and a half, right? So we got, we got three. Okay, we got three people that don't like this. Like, I wish I had another job, right? Like, I want to just, like, be a garbage man or, or, or just take out trash. Like, but I find that if you go to a lot of other places and a lot of other industries, people really don't like what they do day to day. They, they are just like, right. I'm doing this for a paycheck, and I would do just about anything else if I had the skills or knowledge to get the paycheck. But I see with us as artists, it's, I do this because I love it, but I don't feel like I'm an artist, and I don't feel good enough, and I don't feel like I, I should even be getting paid for this, or is this even worth anything? And I think that's just something that's unique to, to us as artists. Well, yeah, you're, do you think, you're, you're do you think, right. 
you don't see plumbers looking at other plumbers saying, man, I just wish I could plumb you like You literally that. read my mind. You literally Can read I even call myself I was going to go with bankers, thing. but yes. yeah. Yeah. Close enough, right? And they'll do a terrible job and walk away and get full price and never doubt right? themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't call another yeah. plumber. No problem. But us will beat ourselves up for it. I, so I think it's a, a unique thing to us as creatives. And I just, just wanted to point that out just like because no hands went up when they hate. It's like, we love what we do. You would have to pay us a lot more to do something else versus other places like, oh, you could pay me less and I would do it because I just don't want don't to do this anymore. So, interesting. I think, it, I think that's why it's self-selecting. The, the people that decide to do this crazy thing, often for less money, um, are drawn to it because they're creative, because they have an idea, because... Uh, it's interesting. It's something new to learn every day. It's not the same thing every day. And that mind is also, creative minds tend to be um, self-hating. <laughs> uh, they tend to be more sensitive to things in the world that, are, that can be changed. They are the crazy people that can think that they can change it. So they feel like responsible if something in the world isn't as good as it can be and all of the all of that adds up to like i could be better i could be better we could be better this could be better my art could be better that oh i wish i had more time i wish this font didn't suck so bad i wish i had this color i wish i was better at this and that is that energy to me at least i think that starts at the start we're the crazy ones that decided to get into all this because that is our energy people have different energy. You could look at a three-year-old and see that there are different people when they're three. We have different feelings and different ways we see the world. And I think it's the... I, I call y'all weird because I love you. Because I'm weird. Because I love weirdos. I think it's the weirdos. It's the creative people that have that built into them and decide to go down this crazy path because everything else could be boring. Everything else isn't interesting. And they have it from the start. Man, this could be better. This could be better. And I think that just resonates with their own brain. I could be better. I'm not as good as I want to be. And, and imposter syndrome is just baked. It's part of the thing that you signed up for. Um, and I think it's what really makes great artists. It's very rare that any, any artist is going to stand up and be like, I'm the best. I'm done. I figured it out. Um, <laughs> unless you're Kanye. <laughs> All right. We'll leave. We'll, we'll leave. We'll leave. Yeah. Out of this one. All right. Any other inspi- uh, inspiration, influences? What what inspires you? Well, Pinball machines. <laughs> well, I will say one inspiration for uh, some of the art that I do is um, music. I think that music also is a great part of inspiration just because uh, there's so many genres of music out there. And sometimes if you're listening to a song that you genuinely love, you can think of uh, an idea, a character, an environment, something that could add on to what you're hearing at that moment and that feeling. So music is absolutely a really good uh, inspiration piece. That, that's a huge one. I, I wanted to see uh, the hands again. Who here, when you listen to songs, like see the whole video, even if you've never saw the video before? That's fascinating. Okay, that's all. That, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think that's amazing. I think that's an, a very artistic thing that you, you go through it and have emotional experiences and might be telling a story and it just really makes me wonder all the different stories and what people are creating when we when we hear those songs and i think that's something unique to us as artists that we experience music visually so that's awesome thank you in inspirations 
I just love films. I love everything I reference when I'm because I used to do a lot of the creative work at the at the mill for Mill Plus and work with directors in like creative idea ideation from live action to 3D to design. And you know, my references are always movies, like anything from anything that was done practically to anything that's done CG. I just I love movies and just seeing how people shoot things and how people make content. Um, you know, I, I love Instagram and TikTok and all that kind of short content, but I do love a good story and I love being immersed in something and experiencing something in that way. And I think that carries my my drive to stay doing something creative. I'm the same way, like film for sure, and then architecture, uh, interior design, um, and then our customers actually influence the hell out of me. Like just seeing what they do with our stuff, it's like really inspiring for me, especially when I can kind of see a seed of something that I was able to help with a, a texture or a light or something that we've made, and I see it pop up in their work. Oh my God, like so that's the best feeling in the world to know that I somehow had a tiny little help in that piece. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right, um, so we asked everybody to send some different uh, topics that they like to talk about, so we, I've got a huge list here. Hope, uh, I don't think we're going to get to all of them, unfortunately, but um, I picked out some of them here, and I wanted to start with, this is kind of a difficult one, I'm probably not qualified for this, but women in MoGraph, and um, when the industry was very young, it was incredibly broy. we all know that, and the percentage of women in the industry has been changing um, a little bit, but um, how's it going? Uh, It's been a very interesting uh, experience uh, because when I was going to college, there was only two women that were in the 3D department. And being two two, three women, there was moments where it would get really um, aggressive. Sometimes people would be very intimidating towards you. Sometimes uh, people would put you down when you were trying to show 3D work that you're showing to other men in your classroom. So as a woman going from the college experience and trying to get into the uh, work uh, industry, it was very intimidating, and at times it was very sexist as well. But thankfully, now that times are changing, I feel as though women are being welcomed more, but there will still be that moment of... um, being looked down on. Well, the crowd here looks pretty diverse, yeah. so I think it's going okay. I thought that. <laughs> um, I want to do a caveat. So we talked a lot about imposter syndrome, and you're like, oh, you got, like, you're right, Nick. You gotta hate your work. You gotta hate yourself. Whatever. But uh, I just, well, like, if if you're like a not a, a guy, you can hate yourself a little less. You should be a little more confident because I feel like. Like imposter, yeah, you should stay humble. But I feel like for women or people of color, and you know, all the non-white cis males, like, yeah, you just like you should let yourself have a bit more confidence because, like, you don't it. It we all hold each other back a lot, Um, and especially like specific to like this event with 3D and stuff. There's a lot of women I know that like I don't know they 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 don't get into 3D or they don't they feel like it's a very male-dominated like part of the industry and. They get like intimidated by it. I'm not you. Like that's great. You do great stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But uh, yeah, it's just like you're allowed to like have some comment. Like be a little louder. If you're if you're not one of the guys in the room, you should be a little louder. You know. Yes. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
I think that also, like, historically, you know, this industry does burn people out. And I think that women have often chosen to have families instead of maybe choosing to be that having a career. So I'm in production. There are a lot, always a lot of women in production. We're natural organisers, so we're great at that. Um, but I also feel that it allows you to not have to be on the box, doing the work. The render's late at night. You can sneak away, put your kids to bed, get back on the computer, send an email, send that link out. Uh, without having to be that slave on the box. And I think a lot of women have chosen not to do that or not to seek that because it's not as flexible. But I think with times changing and hopefully companies changing and people just having a little bit more perspective on people's lives, that women are now choosing to, to do that artistry. The work from home helps tremendously, I think. Um, COVID has probably helped tremendously in that with flexibility. And I think it's allowed a lot of women to kind of come forward and actually be like, no, actually, I want to do the artist thing. I want to do it and I want to be it. And, and there's a lot more support and rally in that. I will give a really quick shout out to the, the women's group of Chicago on Slack. They have been very supportive for all the uh, female artists in Chicago. And so for them, I think that uh, it's very fun to see that there's a camaraderie in that slack. There's a support for those women in Chicago. Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. Uh, I'll just add the... We, we, we touched on it earlier, but the the ability for anyone to make a tutorial and not just make one but also watch one this the gatekeeping of information and one person teaching the next in person went away with the internet and video on the internet youtube and the ability to do it so the more diversity we see when we search terms on youtube and get different people to sh to talk about their experiences it's better for everybody so uh, I think having somebody to look up to that looks different from you or, or actually does look like you is, is a part of it. So the, the more diversity, the more ability for anyone to put up videos on YouTube, the more I see, the better. I, I just love when people are willing to share uh, from their point of view, and it's not just a bunch of white guys with beards. So thank you for those of you who... <laughs> no offense. No offense. Uh, but when, whenever now I got to shave. <laughs> uh, when I, whenever I see anyone else like willing to go make a video and, and share their story and share even just a technique, I think it helps the whole industry. I would say that's a hundred percent true. Um, we need more voices up here. It's something that I've been very particular about uh, within. 
uh, Maxon from the position that I hold. And when I started, we had one female presenter at the time, and it took me about 10 years to get to 50% uh, female presenters. And one of the big things was it wasn't because of the lack of talent. You know, because you would think like, oh, maybe, you know, oh, well, there's just not enough experience. It was never that. It, it was definitely a cultural thing where I would have a number of men who were, I would say, not as talented or terrible. Some people say terrible, right? So they're very terrible, but then they were very um, adamant about being ready to present and that their stuff was great. And so they were very confident in their ability. And then I had some amazing, like amazing artists that could work across multiple genres, uh, multiple styles, could animate, rig, uh, texture, do the, the whole thing, but they didn't feel confident. And I feel that if you're you know, um, minority of any type, know that your voice amplifies the next person because it was always, whenever I had someone on, they said, hey, I saw that woman from last year that inspired me, I'll do it because she did it. Or I'll do it because he did it. And from a person of color or any gender stuff, it really, really helps. It it empowers. So um, that's all I can say is, you know, really try and amplify the voices of other people that you know who are artists of uh, diverse background because it helps increase the range of the the voices that we actually get to hear from as a, as a creative community. And I think that's one thing I love about this community is we love diversity because it's always something new and creative versus other places might not like it so much. Artists, we, we'll go to museums everywhere in the world. We want to see what every culture and everybody is doing. So I think, I think that's unique to us. I'd have to 100% agree with that. When I um, became the MD of the Mill Chicago, you know, any MD that had held the position before had been a white man. And I think, and I had a lot of women, um, not just within the mill, but within the industry, reach out and just sort of congratulate me and say how amazing it was, not just see a female up there, but a person of color. I think it's really important to see people in these positions because then there's a, you know, there's, there is a way and there is hope for other success. And I think, I, I think you're 100% right. Now, um, this is a good one. Uh, Matt and I were backstage and we we're looking at this. I think this was. Doug, who brought this up, but art versus commerce, was that yours? Oh, I think that one went me. Oh, was that yours? Okay. Well, I told you I keep confusing you because I didn't tell you. I thought you looked like a Doug. So I kept confusing the two of y'all because I hadn't met you before. But okay. Sorry, right. so, everyone thinks Dave and I are brothers. We're not. That's true. <laughs> Wait, um, what? <laughs> The, um, the so the uh, so the the line was art versus commerce, and I don't even know where to start with that. But I think maybe uh, um, Ethan I, or Doug or whatever your name is, you know, uh, you can go either way with that. That's fine. I'm, I'm Doug now. Uh, <laughs> I what I, I guess what I was getting at was the balance of of making personal projects and how commerce or how how the business of motion design can affect being a motion designer or motion artist or an artist in general and um i don't know how to like it's not really a question i don't know how to jump into it like like where i was going with that I, i think um it's just an interesting topic to me because i'm a huge advocate for people coming up with their own passion projects do short films do challenge yourself to do weekly projects or whatever it is because those are the things that have gotten me work um that i'm happiest with uh 
and also I think where I was going with that was just um, sometimes just, you got to make stuff for the meal and not for the real. Is that yeah, what you're saying? and 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 it, and also how does this? How does the struggle with a client like how do you where do you bend the knee to a client and when do you you know push back and all those kinds of things? Um, if anyone has. Uh, anything else to add to that world of topics? I know what you're talking about. I was just talking with Margaret Bialis about this earlier. Um, throttling your effort based on the project. Like, mm. yeah, you when it's a passion project or something that is going to lead to like what you want to do with your career, it makes sense to just throw all your time into it, right? But you can't do that with every project. Like, some things you like are just like, okay, here's a client project. I don't love it. But that means you need to kind of, like, try not to spend as much time on it. Like, don't stay up late. Don't put in the extra effort on that. If it's, it's like, you can have, you can bring your B game to some things. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you're a successful business person, you know? You put your time in the right place, right? So, Throttling your effort. I love that phrase. That's so good. That's so good. Absolutely. I mean, there is um, that last few percent that if it's your project, you're probably going to do it. But let's be honest, if it's a client project, they're not going to notice. You yeah. know? So are you going to do that? I've seen some people like really sweat some things that took a really long time, and the client just didn't really care about that. And it's like, mm-hmm. is that really the message they're trying to deliver? And you're over here worried because this little tile and one pixel in the corner is like slightly off color? Or are you forgetting that message that they're trying to show their audience? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you guys a, a key phrase that I learned here. Chicago's my hometown, by the way. So, uh, yeah, for those of you who don't... Yeah. Yeah, I got a couple Chicagoans that. here. That's great. That's it. Yeah, I love this city. Um, thanks for the weather, too. I came from California. <laughs> this is just like, oh, oh, yeah, home sweet home. I feel terrible, but great at the same time. Um, a phrase that I learned when I'm working at a CDW here, um, very, very funny enough, was fuck it, ship it. It wasn't yours. Like, it's not yours. It's like, get it out. Because the sooner you get it out, the sooner you're going to get feedback. And the feedback that we have in our head is usually a feedback loop that goes back to the imposter syndrome that tells us we're terrible. Everything you do is terrible and it'll never be enough. And this is just another reminder that you're garbage. You don't want to talk to that one. You don't want to talk to that voice. The client is probably going to be a lot easier on you than your own voice. I, I, I said it that way because that's, that's how I feel aggressive the internal voices sometimes when I'm talking to artists can be with themselves about not having something look a certain way. So the idea of fuck it, ship it is you get it out to the client. They're going to let you know what needs to be changed instead of you really grinding yourself down and be burnt out by the time you turn it in and the thing that you're so happy about, they don't even recognize and they tell you to change something else and you're already already spent all of that effort on that stupid thing now that you hate and you can't look at it anymore. So save yourself the effort, ship it out and get the feedback. You do all that and then they cut it. You know, you should have just sent it and (laughs) see if they wanted that first, you know? Uh, Going back to the art versus uh, uh, commerce thing, you know, one thing and... Y'all all look seasoned enough to have been in this industry for a while, so this may just, you know, fall on deaf ears. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I've, I, whatever. I'm an old man um, in this industry, at least. Uh, 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 only, oh, oh, only put the stuff on your demo reel that you want to do the work. So, yeah. and 
Uh, if that involves passion projects, you're going to start doing a lot more passion projects, and then that's going to be the work that comes up. So you're going to start to enjoy the work so much more than just doing... I mean, if you love explainer videos, all the more power for you. I'll send you some explainer videos. But, like, if what you want to do is awesome 3D particle stuff and be known as the particle person, only put particle stuff on your demo reel. Or do passion projects that are only showing off particle stuff because then you're going to get that work and you're going to have that much more of an enjoyable time doing commerce with other clients and stuff. Uh, And it'll feel like you're just doing art all day. Uh, that's absolutely true. Put on your demo reel what you want to make. You will get hired more for it. Um, I also think, we talked earlier, I joked about pinball machines being an inspiration, but I, I, I really mean like arcade, pinball, pool tables. As a kid, I was just always obsessed with that corner of the room. Shiny spheres for <laughs> sure. Gumball machines fall into this. And the, it, it, it really... It's a part of the puzzle that if you want to do this for a living, you just have to put in the creative mix. And so for me, the best projects have aren't just do whatever you want and we'll put the logo at the end. Um, those are fun. Those are rare. The best projects have a combination of art and commerce and the, and the need for somebody in here to make money, including you as an artist, including them as a brand or whoever you're making work for. And that's actually part of the creative puzzle I think we're here to solve. It's, it has, it's not just like, oh, a necessary evil. It's actually, it, 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 in the, when the right project shows up, it's a part of the fun part of the creative process. So an arcade machine does, doesn't just have to be a good game. It has to be good enough for you to feel like you're good at it, but not so good that you play an hour because they need more quarters. So they need to make it harder for you to like, oh, I feel like one more quarter, I'm going to get better at this. That is a really beautiful part of of art plus quarters plus commerce plus like that, that I think comes full circle into what we do as commercial artists. Only if you want to get paid to do this. If you just want to make cool stuff, go make cool stuff. And go get free software. We talked about it. Go make it. Uh, but if you want to have the living and, and create beautiful things that people will hire you to do, that is just a necessary part of it. And I would say it's not just necessary evil. It's, it's part of the f- puzzle as a creative to work efficiently like you said maybe this is done maybe i do need to work a little harder maybe i'm that part of the puzzle is actually i can be part of the fun i just want to say it's not always negative i i totally agree i think the for me it's always been about like how do i take a brief and execute the client's goals while simultaneously working my own vision into it where we where we all win you know like to me that's the creative part creative part of it so to me i've never really thought about it as like art versus craft and that might be just because i don't think of myself as a pure artist i've always just i'm just lucky to be in this industry i just got into this industry so i wouldn't have to wear a fucking suit you know like I, i i didn't really know like so for me coming up with not a lot of money I'm like, cool, I get to make shit and get paid? That's awesome. And so then I just started to really like think about, like, okay, well, 
Who here doesn't like to create with a little bit of uh, uh, like walls, right? A blank page, to me, I hate blank pages. Give me some parameters to work in. Give me a brief. Give me something to solve. Like That's just how my brain works. It's not how everybody's brain works. But I love that part. I love figuring out a way to execute a brief and while simultaneously making them money and making me money. Like That's, that's how I, always, I look at it. Actual Doug, I would love to hear your opinion on this. <laughs> um, this is a really interesting question. I've been fighting myself a lot on this one, too. Um, so in college, I did a lot, a lot of personal work. Um, my professors would get mad at me because I would do, like, I'd hurry up, get my homework done, and spend the last, like, three hours of the day just, like, doing short films. Because um, I'm, like, I'm learning, I'm having fun, and I actually feel myself coming more alive to these briefs that I'm making up for myself. Now, the hard part is, is when you start owning a studio, and it's like, actually, how do I keep the lights on and find projects that are creatively engaging and still scratching that itch? Um, so I've been talking with some other studio owners of just like this nice ratio of budget, timeline, and does it fit your voice as an artist slash studio? And I think it's a really helpful way to, to like turn down work that feels like it's like, that's not me. And I'd rather go without the money and choose, maybe just work on a personal project during these months. Um, while it's hard to do that, it's also made room though to be like, oh, when the project comes in that fits all these three, it's like you have availability to take it on. So that's kind of how I've been doing it right now. Um, spending some time doing short films, and then that kind of will lead to more work and more, um, because I think someone mentioned it, but like when you share these short films and something on Instagram, it's like it gains traction, which gets work. So it's like it's almost an investment alone to just do craft. Um, so that's where my balance is as of now. Yeah. What kind of? Oh, do you? Do you have? Something? I just wanted to quickly add that. Um, oh, fake Doug. Yeah. <laughs> fake Doug Second here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honorary Doug co- coming at you live. Uh, the <laughs> I was just going to add that I, this is typically my mindset is sort of what everyone's uh, echoed in some form, but at, as a, a dad uh, in the last four years. Uh, I also love looking at this as a craft and picking stuff that is going to be done within nine to five or, or something that I can do um, at night in the middle of the night because I'm awake anyway with my baby or whatever, and and then doing doing the bulk of that kind of mindless work is is great when you need to, and then and then picking up really exciting fun projects that are small and tangible for your lifestyle. So I think you can kind of ebb and flow between these uh, points of view depending on what your life calls for, you know. Do, do any of y'all have passion projects that are like non-MoGraph related and how do you find the time? I'm working on a video game. Oh, yeah, I mentioned right. it before. But yeah, I'm, wor- I, like, I'm, I'm working on an NES, an original NES game like building out an NES game that will only play on the NES, which is the stupidest thing to ever do, by the way. Nothing like creating something for a 30-year-old, you know, console. But it's fun. It's, what's really fun is, like, I started to learn, like, uh, uh, 
for those who have never built an NES game, it is so effing limited with the amount of colors that you can do and uh, the amount of memory that is taken up. So having those limitations uh, uh, helps you become more creative in how you're going to do your art. Like, uh, I, I was never, never a pixel artist or whatever, but I started watching tutorials on creating pixel art. And now I'm still not a great pixel artist, but I'm okay. I can, like, take a picture at least and turn it into some sort of pixel art that's not just, like, a flat image. Progress. Progress, (laughs) yes. Anyone else? Yeah, I I work on too many things, but I I think that's just part of my creative brain. (laughs) Yeah, hey, hey, there's a book. Actually, going to be I'm working on a a children's book as well. So that's uh, that's another thing that I like to do is write. uh, It's called the five most important things you don't learn in preschool. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) true. Where's my bell? Uh, Ding. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I I think you know the creative process. Actually, to me, it always ties back to MoGraph somehow. Because I feel like the more that I, when I write, it helps me understand more story that I can then translate into anything that I'm developing for a client when, when they have a project. Like, oh, you know what? This was really well thought out. I like the structure of this. I like, um, you know, I like the style of that. So I find that being just in the creative mindset, be it writing, be it producing an artificial intelligence conference or whatever it is, just being in the production of it, um, I find that it all ties in. So it, it is not MoGraph related, but I feel that since MoGraph encompasses everything, it, it always is. I am uh, working on seeking and absorbing all the information I can about UAPs and UFOs to try and figure out where the truth is because it's driving me crazy. We're going to so, talk later. That's fun, right? I'm with you on that. Is that a hobby? Maybe. It's a good um, one. See a lot of that on TikTok. <laughs> if y'all have questions, feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to hear yeah. from. Yes. Yeah, All right. Go ahead. Oh, I like that. Focusing on your own work versus contributing to the community. Right. You definitely cannot cut yourself off from the community. It's I've seen it. It is detrimental to your career to completely just cut yourself off. You know, just going on to either the slacks or the discords or the whatever, and just or the twitters that you love to push people's buttons. You know, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, just. Interacting somehow with the community, you can't. You you've got to keep that going. You know, it 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 helps us stay relevant, and uh, uh, especially when you're trying to get freelance jobs and stuff like that, you have to be pushing yourself or or, or uh, uh, showing off your work and stuff. And you can only do that through some sort of online community. But you can definitely turn it on and off. Yes. At different times. You know, there's a lot of times when I'm working, I mean, I don't have anything that dings to tell me I have an email. I have ever. everything that ever. dings. It's this. Uh uh-uh. Literally right now. I Sorry. check my email when I have time to check my email. Because if I'm working on something, why do I need to check the email? You know, if there's an emergency, I'm sure a client's going to call me. 
you know. Um, but I don't have to open that email because usually it's just junk or a newsletter anyway. And you get that little tag and that ding, and then you're like, is that something or is that nothing? Is that something? Or is I'm going to look at it. So just turn it off or do your do not disturb or whatever. Um, that's not exactly the answer to your question, I know. But I, I do try and separate myself in that aspect from the chatter. Are you talking more about like you need to unplug from Instagram or like just looking at other people's work? Is that what you mean? Do that. Well, I mean, how long are you going under when you're going into deep work? Like, you're not going in there for like a month, right? You, well, yes, it's some serious I mean, deep work, dude. Some, yeah, sometimes I mean, you're like, working on long projects that yeah, you know but, take you away. But it's it's an occasional check-in or something. Hey, how are everyone's doing? You know, what's up? What's going on? I mean, for me, like. I'm ultra focused. I'm like one of those people that like will get into something and the entire world just goes away. And like, that's just how I work. And I'm a guy that works with me. He's opposite. Like he has a podcast going, he's working here. He's got a monitor monitor here. I can't do that. Everybody's different, but I think you got to find the balance that works for you and just recognize when things are going a little bit, maybe unhealthy one way or the other. And then just try to be conscious of it and like, oh, shit, you know, I haven't come up for air in three days. Maybe I'll go do that. I think and just be aware. I think it's also really good to have like a core group of friends, especially in the industry. Uh, uh, me and Dave have a Halo group chat, which is it started out as like uh, all of us playing Halo together. But now it's just we haven't played Halo in years, you know, maybe and, a good nine months at least. But yeah, now we're the non Halo it's all just motion designers yeah. in there, and we all just yeah. kind of shoot the shit every day. Yeah. And, you know, hey, how are y'all doing? And, and about turning off those distractions, to something I do um, when I feel like I'm getting too many distractions is I have a little timer that I bought, um, and I put it on my desk. And that there's two things I'll put it on, either 20 minutes or 40 minutes. If I'm doing emails and stuff, it's 20. If I'm working on art, you know, or client work, it's, it's 40. And at the end of that 40 minutes, when it dings... I'm either in the mood to do another 40 or 20, or I'm not. And if I'm not, I go and I take a break, and then I come back and figure out what to do next. That's the Pomodoro method. Anybody here know what the Pomodoro method is? I didn't is? know the name of it, yeah, but I saw it on TikTok. That's a, it's, a, it's a productivity <laughs> method. It's actually really helpful for people that, that, that have a trouble like focusing, because it almost like gamifies it, where like, oh, I can make it this 40 minute, then I give myself a prize of a five minute break. So if that's something that's interesting, Google it. It's it's. I try and tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, 20 minutes of work and then 20 minutes of sitting down. You know, that's that's the correct method. And she gets mad at me about it. She's like, no, you got to help me clean. <laughs> I would say the other thing to look at is uh, goals and outcomes. Is because if you just try and set up random habits that necessarily don't align with your goals things can feel off internally. So if you know that, oh, I just need to you know, stay connected to the community, then you can kind of put together a schedule or something like that that just has you stay connected. But if you're really looking for a specific outcome, then you might need to be able to hunker down, really focus, and tell everybody, hey, I'm going to be working on this amazing thing I'm really passionate about. You're not going to hear me from a minute, but it's all good. You're going to love what, what comes out of it. So by aligning yourself with it and to use 
the community as a way to communicate your goals and your intentions so you can have some accountability. That's another way that you can work with it instead of it being this crazy balance. It's just a conversation that's ongoing about what's meaningful to you. And putting it out there, you know, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. People will want to celebrate with you when you're back. You know, here's the thing I accomplished. Check it out. Yay. You did a great job. Here's some likes. You know, it's great. All right. Well, we only have (laughs) 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, So for questions, um, I'm going to say we are going to be here all night. Do not be afraid to go up to anybody and ask them questions. Uh, It'll be an entire night of questions. However, with this last 10 minutes, we do have to talk about AI. Yay. I'm going to start with Tracy because that was on your list, and I'm going to let you go first. It was, I, just, I just wanted to see what everyone's opinion was. You know, from a production point of view, having AI can be quite helpful to see directors ideate ideas on the fly really quick if a concept artist isn't quite getting there or something isn't, is, isn't happening. And I think I just wanted to discuss with everybody on their perspective of of it, of the removal of opportunities for jobs, of up-and-coming artists that are, are worried about being replaced by AI. You know, it's, it's very different from a producer's perspective as it mm-hmm. is from a designer's perspective, so I was open for discussing it today. I, I would like to say that um, I really liked Mid-Journey when it wasn't as accurate. <laughs> when it was kind of like terrible and the hands were messed up and like it was kind of mushy everything was creepy because it looking. allowed you to be creative with it it's like this is kind of the general feeling i'm going for this is like the color scheme that i'm going for now it's so accurate that it almost can't abstractly think the way you want to think it did free me from this weird thing I had where I felt like I could not use anybody else's anything for inspiration or it wasn't original. And I know yes. that you can go and say, okay, well, AI is trained on whatever, but like, I just, I'm like, oh, this has a spaceship on this side of the frame. I'm going to do the same thing. No, but that would be copying. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point, you know, I mean, it's not plagiarism, but I still felt bad about it. And having AI to go to to help me, help me brainstorm has been very helpful. And I don't have that blank cube syndrome anymore i think uh ai used as like a tool uh, in your creative process i think that's fine i think with ai just trying to pawn uh, an ai piece as just your own art that you've created yes that i feel like that's wrong but when you're trying to think of certain uh, concepts or thinking of an idea i think it's okay in the process i just don't think it should be used for the final final piece yeah i 100 percent agree um I don't know how many people made it to Dash Bash, if you did raise your hand. Yeah, okay, okay. So, um, Cabeza Batata presented, and they kind of chatted about this in their presentation. I thought it was a really interesting point. They were like, you don't see people, like, lining up in a stadium looking to, like, see two robots fight each other, or play a football game, (laughs) or play against each other in esports. And they're like, it lacks a little bit of the human risk the human fear and I think the same thing can be found in art that's made by AI is it lacks in a final product setting it lacks the human touch and um, I think that's something that's like it's kind of an indescribable feeling um, but you notice it when it's not there Um, but I've used it in my process like just recently we had a project that there's like 60s magazine articles that this guy wants in 
this video and it's super cool but like half the guy's arm is missing so I like went into Photoshop and gave him an arm and it was like fantastic but like that's the tool part of it instead of the final product so um, I don't think we're going to be replaced <laughs> I think we're safe for a bit um, but I see another question popping up yeah well, I was just saying yeah, but BattleBots are still co- uh, uh, controlled by people. Yeah, but people did go to stadiums to watch robots. Oh, that's yeah. true. All right, yeah, you're absolutely. right. You're right. We'll give it to them. So. <laughs> uh, technically. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I think, um, I mean, when it comes to just art creation when, with AI, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely worry because of the quality. Definitely, ha- it's exponentially getting better. But I feel that the big worry is kind of the conversation that is underneath yeah it's going to they took her jobs right like that's that i think is the big issue is ai is solving things that we don't actually see necessarily as problems for us as artists first they're 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 solving things that we actually enjoy first and the, the bigger problems out there haven't really been solved, yep. right? So who here knows of an AI that can completely do your taxes perfectly and give you the maximum amount That's of return? What I want so you don't, bad. You don't, you don't have that, right? But you have something that can make an image that could possibly replace a concept artist. Well, that's not the biggest problems that we're facing. And, you know, in, it, one of the things that I mentioned is people love AI for the things that they hate, but they hate AI for the things that they love. And I feel that that's, that's something that I quoted and I closed out my conference with when I ran Artificial Conference because we're not in a world where we love AI for the things that we love and we love AI for the things that we hate because it's doing all these great things. They fired the weapon at the wrong problem. The problem hasn't been the, the creative. There's a lot of other things, and maybe we'll get there. Maybe this path will get us to the place where it's like, cool, you know, my topo- topology is off. I'll get perfect retopo. UVs. Yeah, my UVs are going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, my rigs are going to be perfect. And like, so these are things that just are, are arduous tasks. But right now, because of everything's tied to the economic system, we haven't fired AI to say, how do we build a better economic system? I think once that's in place, then artists will really look at it as a tool instead of the worry that we see today. It's like, oh, how can I use this in my creative process versus this can take my job and my livelihood. As soon as... Chat GPT gets us at UBI, then we don't have to worry about it anymore. We just do art for art. <laughs> Set UBI. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just also say that um, uh, I, I'm not nervous about getting my job taken by AI, but now it's, uh, I'm worried about these five-year-olds that are doing tutorials. <laughs> it could be your five-year-old. <laughs> I um. I mean, I think AI using, you know, um, like pulling artists' work from the internet and using that is super immoral. But I recently saw a studio um, that I know of. They they were training AI on their own work. Like they wanted to make their own AI model just to mm-hmm. like help them. Like, okay, what's our style? And let's we want help like thinking in our own style. I kind of like the idea of that. Like mm-hmm. I would train an AI to be like my assistant. That like, okay, what is? Because I'm a, I have a real hard time defining what my style is or whatever and uh, I mean because I didn't go to art school I didn't really think about it as much I'm like I'm like well why why is that the way I think about things so I would love to maybe train an AI to help help me like another me I'm always like can there be another me you know so that's interesting to like have it just you know train from your all your own original art 
and just see like if it can help you think in your own head, you know, a little bit. That'd be interesting. Just throw a whole bunch of like 3D renders yeah. that you've done. Yeah, you and can then do that. Ask it to come up with something new, and then you're like, yeah, I could have made that. It, it could help. <laughs> and all you I get are popes with puffy jackets. Or that's already. the ultimate <laughs> echo chamber. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's something. It's an interesting use. I could see. Anyone else before we wrap? We got three minutes. Got three minutes. We're wrapping a little early because we're gonna say goodbye to the live audience, and Chris is going to. I, it, we need to double uh, check with him that he's gonna do that. Chris he looks very be. busy out there. He does. Okay, when we wrap, everybody Someone stay for a second because Chris might actually do another cube race. Yeah. So, any other questions from the yeah. audience? Or yeah? yes. Okay. I, yeah, that's an interesting. That's uh, so. Question. The question is: the question was, I don't remember the question fully. Uh, how, how long? I, I, GPT to summarize. I don't know how to rephrase it for the stream. I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. I, I I think the interesting thing that you bring up in the beginning is um, not having that person or like some of the newer people in this uh, being taken out by AI and how are they going to learn to get to that next level. That's a really interesting uh, idea. Yeah. I've never thought of that. And well, that think, now worries me very much. Well, I think you're seeing it in other parts of the industry. So because I have a, a broader spectrum within, like within 2D, for example. Things like rotoscoping, things like chroma keying, all these things are being taken by AI. But these are like fundamental skills for a compositor to learn how to do stuff. So you'll take, and a lot of the, you know, the artists that started back probably when I started 20 years ago, you know, that, that's what they cut their teeth on because that's how you learn how to look at a picture, was how to roto, how to, how to motion blur, how to do all this stuff. And so you're kind of cutting the younger generation off at the knees by not learning these fundamental skills to kind of get up there. And I kind of understand where you're coming from and we're seeing it at that part of the industry. And maybe not this one because it's more creatively led in a different way. It's more artistry. Compositors will probably kill me for saying that because they think it's an art too. But um, I think we'll see how it affects that part of the industry and you'll probably see how it will then affect design. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really interesting, you know, question as well as concern. And I think you're definitely right, Tracy. Like right now, those core concepts that are the entry level, a lot of those tools are going to are going to be rapidly developed, and that's one of the things that we're seeing. Where now the baseline is going to, it's just going to be a new baseline. If you think about that, the new baseline is okay. You know how to prompt. You understand how these different things work. So it's like, yeah, Roto gave you that. But what I'm seeing a lot of artists do is, even if they're 15 years in the industry, they're going back to the basics. 
So I think that's what's going to happen with a lot of these industries is AI is going to be there and they're going to be doing different things within it. But then they're going to say, you know what, there's something else. And then they're going to go back to color theory. They're going to go back to composition. They're going to go back to timing. Those are the things that I feel are going to be there because we're really like just in the second wave of AI. The third wave of AI, I had somebody much more intelligent than me present and talk about what's coming in the third wave that's going to be you know, pretty close to original concepts where you can just say, hey, a table has four legs and a top, and it will be able to create original things and not need reference. So, so we're, we're going to see some really interesting things, and that's where I feel it's important for us to kind of merge our communities, you know, sooner than later, not see them as an enemy, but for us to merge and to fire AI at the problem of we need a, a better economic system. We, we need, you know, a better education system so that we can work more towards Star Trek than Blade Runner. And that, that's my... Yeah, uh, that's Star Trek future. Yeah. That's and, the um, one I want. So... Just a, just a quick reminder. Oh, I was going to mention, you know, those, those basics. I wanted to ask, who's going to Camp MoGraph? I am. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. A few people. We can get back to those basics there. If you haven't heard of our show before, the MoGraph podcast, please uh, give it a listen. We've done, this was episode 382 Jeez. today. Uh, we've, we've been, been doing, doing this that for, for 10 like years, 10 years, so. Um, we appreciate everybody on the panel. We loved having you all here, and there's so much more conversation to be had tonight. And um, remember to stick around uh, after we say goodbye to our live audience on the interwebs, because Chris is going to do another cube race real quick. So I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. And And this this was was that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thanks, y'all. Pretty good, I guess. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast. Industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SeaGraph, HalfRes, and local meetups. Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. we got to stop this thing, Rick! It's going to kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. Can you get that render done? Yeah, you better frame, frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in the HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software. Learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> 
Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it! We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.